0: All right, how's everybody doing? Yeah, man. Man, I tell you what, all morning it has been, I mean, there's just been a, a since our pre-production meeting and, and our prayer time there, it's just been wild in here. I don't know, I, I mean, it's just been crazy. First service, I, I can't, I have no words. Um, and I expect the same. Just as we open up the word of God, what's cool about just where we've been and just even this morning in worship, I, I said this in the in our first gathering, just how thankful I am. I think you can get cynical about church. I mean, I think it's easy in the culture that we live in to, to watch at the, you know, the way that any church kind of executes the, the gatherings and does church. Um, but from the inside, like when, you, when, when you're leading and getting ready and preparing with the people that are on your team, I love getting the opportunity to say this. Dave says this sometimes, just the people that are up on this stage, they actually are pastoring and loving. They, they love you. Like they cannot wait this is not about them to lead you beyond themselves to see Jesus, to see the cross, to see what's possible for you, to see that it's possible to allow the light of Jesus to invade your soul. And they, they, when they're coming out of their shoes, I mean, Abby's up here doing full-on aerobics. And I'm like, I know that that's like a real, the beat of her heart. And Gerald's and and Aaron's when he leads. And and Gage, when he's in the in the drum cage, I look through the glass. Sometimes you can't see because there's a reflection. My man is leading worship in there. He's got all kinds of gear and crazy things y'all don't even understand. And he leads you beyond the veil to experience Jesus and experience the Spirit of God and the gifts that they gave. But it's just I I I want you to know that. They believe, everything that you see in the expression of worship that's happening up here is absolutely a real authentic thing that I'm so thankful for. I just felt very gift, like just a, like they're a gift to my soul as my friends and the people that lead this church and lead us into worship each week. It's pretty incredible how God works through them. And um, yeah, just an amazing, amazing privilege Uh, to be led in worship today. If you got your Bible, we're in Acts chapter 20. And I love this. Speaking of the spirit of God moving, um, you see some crazy things in Acts chapter 1. I mean, Acts chapter 20, Um, you know, we've, we, as we've traveled through this book, there's all kinds of things that happen, but this, some of the more bizarre, but awesome things you you see in uh, these last few chapters, as we went from uh, 19 or 18, 19 and and 20, it's just, there's some crazy miracles that are happening. I mean, you got Paul's hanky ministry where people are touching his hanky and getting healed. I mean, it's crazy. Um, And and this one it's no different. But it's interesting as you look at the Apostle Paul, and if you, if you know who the Apostle Paul is, I mean, the Apostle Paul was somebody who persecuted Christians. Educated, Roman citizen, had an amazing resume, and he was charged with shutting down the ministry of Jesus, shutting down the disciples, shutting down this thing they called the way. And he was glad to do it. Even people, he, he didn't mind violence. He didn't mind shutting it down by ending someone's life. That was the Apostle Paul. And then Jesus intervened on his road to on the road to Damascus and changed Paul's life forever and, and changed everything about who he was. In terms of seeing a U-turn and the power of the Spirit of God, you see that in those in those in Acts chapter 7, in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9, as you see the, the transition of the Apostle Paul and how things changed. And in this passage, you begin to see some things that honestly for me are convicting because the apostle Paul, it says, didn't care about his life. And when I look at our culture, when I look at where we are in life, when I look at how we spend our time, if I looked at my own bank account, if I looked at yours, we'd have to admit we care about our lives, what we spend our money on, what we spend our lives doing. he he literally says, I'm not worried about my life. All I'm worried about is the mission of God. It's interesting. As I was reading this passage, I said this to Beth. I said, I don't know what it is, but I I thought about Frank Sinatra, who I love. Don't, don't think I'm knocking Frank. These kids over here like, who is this Frank Sinatra you speak of? We have not heard him. But anyway, when I'll just talk to to y'all since y'all don't know much about Frank. Um, Frank Sinatra, near the like in his career, he had this amazing song. It's almost called like his epitaph, like his farewell to, to life. Anybody know the name of the song? Come on. I did it my way. Look at these people are educating. This is what you call elders teaching you, like taking the knowledge of their era and giving it to you. Uh, I did it my way. Listen to some of the words of this song. I love it. It's fantastic. But it is, it is like the opposite of what we read in scripture and what the apostle Paul did. He, he says, and so I faced the final curtain My friend, I'll make it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain I've lived life, a life that's full. I traveled each and every highway and more, much more, I did it my way. Yeah, let's keep continuing. I just think this is great. Regrets, I've had a few, but then too few to mention. I did what I had to do. I saw it through without exemption. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the way, along the byway. And more, much, much more, I did it my... There we go, look, it's just very good. Y'all, y'all sang way better than the nine. They must've been still needed a few sips of coffee. You guys have had some good sleep, you're awake, you know, it's a later service. The opposite is what we see in scripture. And when I, but I, we all relate to Frank, like this idea of wanting to do it our way, like be the captain of our own ship. I mean, that is the, the breakdown in the garden of Eden. But the question that's on the table today is, is, have we moved past that? Like I think sometimes we, we, we find ourselves in the American church, in our culture in the West, in a comfortable place of singing the songs, championing this life of following Jesus. And then you see the sacrificial, and just to, to, to take it down a notch after we got Frank Sinatra, everybody in this story, in the book of Acts, they all die, giving their life away for the cause of carrying the gospel they really believe to, to the, the nth degree that everything they could, that they could give to the, the mission and vision of, of carrying the gospel to the people around them, to the ends of the earth, they thought this is the only thing that is worthwhile. So as you read this passage, I, honestly, I was looking at it with conviction as somebody that's chosen the, the, the career path as a pastor. Is that my life? Am I willing to lose my life? Has the the idea of self-protection drifted into the background as the mission of God stays in the forefront? And that's what I care about. Do do I walk out fearlessly into the world that I live in, sharing the gospel? I mean, I get nervous to tell people I'm a pastor sometimes. This is just going to make it awkward. Should I really do it? You know what I mean? People are going to hell and we worry about who we are. And so I, I, there was a conviction as I was reading this passage and looking at the life of Paul and thinking, how? how? How does this happen? How does somebody begin to live their life in the way that he lived? And I love that this, this passage, in short order, just highlights some things that, that convict us in the heart in such a good way. Like they, they, make, they make us ask this question. And so we're gonna talk about some of the amazing characteristics of the Apostle Paul, but also the, how did it happen? How did the Apostle Paul come to this place? How did the disciples, how did the churches that we see in the book of Acts become these, these beacons for hope, this, this light that they shined in a dark world during the Roman empire? And how does it, what does that mean for us in the world that we live in? So if you got your Bible, we're going to start in verse seven, but if, you, if, you, uh, if you're tracking along with us, there was a, there was a riot in Ephesus in, in, in Acts chapter 19. And you, you see that the, the gospel, a lot, a lot of people were giving up their, their way of life early on in, in, in Ephesus, but over the two-year reign and the, the couple of years that the apostle Paul was there, that was disruptive because a lot of people loved their life because they wanted to do it their way. And the apostle Paul was like, there is a whole nother way that you were, created, you were created by and for Jesus. And people are like, no, we've got our own way of life. We've got our own God, Artemis, Diana. We've got our own thing that we're doing, and it caused a riot. So we see that the gospel is disruptive. that the gospel can cause a riot. But it changes everything when we realize the truth. As sinners, we, we hold on to the things that we believe are our saviors. The Apostle Paul continues to minister in Ephesus. And we find out in this passage, as you get to the the end, he spends about three years in Ephesus. From what we know, the the longest period of time, kind of stationary, at least traveling within 20 miles of a particular area all through Asia, presenting the gospel. And it says he was successful in preaching the gospel to everybody in that area. And if you look at the, the missionary journeys of Paul, you look at the maps of where he went. The fact that the Bible says he reached everybody, an incredible feat. But along the way, we've seen these amazing miracles that have happened. Like we've seen this unbelievable display and in, in the power that these guys walked in. And I can't, can't step by this. I think it sets us in the right direction to start in this passage right here in verse 7. I, there was no way, even just as a pastor, I could ever skip this. Um, but it gives you an idea of how powerful the Apostle Paul was moving in this day. And in verse seven, it says on the first day of the week. Now he's been traveling around at this point. He's been in Ephesus. He's moved around, kind of moved out of the city during the riot. They kind of kept him away. He's been back with that church. Again, he's been there for about three years, but he's been traveling. His, his traveling companions, the other disciples that are moving around and, and uh, preaching the gospel with him are, they're, they're on a boat. Sometimes they're off the boat. They're moving over to this place, over to this place. And sometimes Paul just says, Hey, I don't want to be on the boat. I want to walk. Um, and in fact, when he's, when he's going to Asos and they say, hey, let's get on the boat. We're gonna go to this particular place. He says, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go by foot. Um, if you go back and you look how far that is and what type of territory that is, I mean, a lot of people would die on that, just on that journey. People like commentary, it's one of those questions that comes up. Like, why did Paul choose to do that? Some people say, because he was trying to, to force his body into submission, knowing that he was going to suffer. So he was trying to train himself or he wanted to spend time alone with God. We don't know why, but the apostle Paul was just an extraordinary human. So all of a sudden he gets back with them. They meet him, right? They're surprised. They're like, okay, he's still alive. They pick him up there and they end up in this, in this place, Miletus, right outside of Ephesus, about 20 miles outside. And it says that the apostle Paul sailed past Ephesus on purpose, it uh, doesn't say why, but we can, we can assume and you can read some of the commentary in this particular chapter in Acts is that he, he, he loved those people. We know that the Apostle Paul had deep, deep roots and connections with the church at Ephesus. You get that when you read his letter uh, to the Ephesians five years later. I mean, it's incredible. You can see the deep roots that he has and the love that he has for this group of people. So he knew that he wanted to go to Jerusalem. He knew that he had to continue in his journey and he was worried about in his flesh that he would want to stay. He want to want to be there. Plus, they just had a riot, you know. Pretty, you know, not not too in the too far past. So he's just like, you know, maybe I'll I've already disrupted enough there. Maybe we'll sail past it. But he wanted a, a last kind of like this was his, you know, Frank Sinatra moment talking to them about, hey, this is the way that I did it. This is the way that I walked in life, and this is the encouragement that I have for you. As you're going to continue to carry the torch here in Asia, which would become later on uh, Greece, what we we know as uh, modern-day Greece. So, verse seven, it says, "On the first day of the week, we came together to, to to break bread." So he's in this place called Troas at this time. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept talking until midnight. Now, I want to pause here about my preaching real quick (laughs) and how long I might go. Um, I promise I won't go till midnight. And if you ever complain, I will lead you to Acts chapter 20, (laughs) verse 7. Now, it, it gets crazier in here. If you read this, it says there were many lamps in the upstairs room where they were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep, sleep as Paul talked on and on. I know, guys. I know what you're thinking. Don't fall asleep. Read what happens next. When he fell sound asleep, he fell to the ground from a third story. I know. I, I laughed so much in the first service, but I realized a guy dies here fell from the third story and was picked up dead. So I want to be clear, the guy was dead. Three stories, you can see how that could happen. Now, this is even crazier. This is why I love the Bible. I mean, it is amazing. This is one of those, probably one of those stories that they're not putting on the felt board in the kid's, kids room. Uh, I would love to see this one done that way though and be amazing. Because the guy, I mean, Paul's preaching. The guy falls asleep, falls out of the window. I mean, what do you do with the felt? Like, you know, you kind of got him down there. He's down, there's a little blood. Uh, and then the apostle Paul it says that he jumps on the guy. Like he goes down there like, no worries. I know I've been preaching till midnight. I know I got to get down there. I mean, what, what does it say here? It says that he jumps on the young man and put his arms around him. I mean, I just, my, my brain always has to, like, I, I always think about it and put myself there. I, I picture the building, picture the guy falling out, hitting the ground and the apostle Paul going down the stairs and, whoosh, poof, you know, and wrapping his arms around him. I mean, can you Imagine. And then all of a sudden he says, don't be alarmed. I mean, I just, I'm looking at him. It's like he's laying on the ground, looking at everybody. Don't be alarmed. (laughs) All good here. He's alive is what he says. And then he went upstairs again. He broke bread and he ate. I mean, just a, you know, chill day at the office, you know, (laughs) grab some lunch. We'll get back. And after that, talking until daylight. I mean, there he goes again. I, I probably thought, I got some leverage, just raised a guy from the dead. I think people will listen to me now. You know what I mean? <laughs> Nobody's falling asleep after that one. I mean, seriously. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. I mean, I just, the amazing scene. I mean, it kind of sets you in the in the idea of just the 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 world that we live in, like, you see some extraordinary things that sometimes I think there there, there feels like a disconnect. Dan beautifully said this a few weeks ago. Like we often read this and it's like, all right, so when are you gonna start exercising faith like the apostle Paul? And we we feel the, maybe there's some conviction that we need in that. But there's also like, you know, the the warning of trying to run out these doors and, and do it, just like Paul did or putting ourselves, one, you're not the apostle Paul. I mean, I just, this was a special time. This is a special outpouring of what God was doing. But the apostle Paul comes and he, again, he's sailing around this kind of area around Greece and Asia. A lot of people are coming to know Jesus as he's moving around, preaches that message and he's back on the boat and he ends up in this place, Miletus, about 20 miles from Ephesus. And Paul sent to the Ephesian, the leaders, the elders of the church, it says in verse 17, it says, when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. Different than what Frank said in his, he says, from the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served not myself, I didn't do it my way. I served the Lord with great humility, with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly from house to house. He's saying, I didn't, I didn't step around anything that was difficult. The apostle Paul was creative. We found that. Acts chapter 17, he used their pagan poetry to lead him to Jesus, but he never sidestepped the gospel and he never sidestepped the truth. And he's saying, I was creative, but I always taught exactly what God wanted me to teach. And I taught it from house to house. I've declared to everyone, to Jews, to the Greeks, that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And then we see in these three verses, just, I sat here and just read these these verses over and over again and thought about what they mean for the church and following Jesus. And in verse 22, it says, and now the apostle Paul's saying, compelled by the spirit. Again, he's saying goodbye to these people. At the end of this passage, there's going to be tears because they love him. These are his people. These are the people he's closest to. He loved the church at Philippi. We all know that. He loved the, that, that, the Philippian church, but he spent more time in Ephesus than anywhere. He loved the Philippian church because of the amazing way that it started. He knew the, the planters of that church. One was a Roman centurion, remember? Singing at midnight, I mean, the Lydia, who was the wealthy, you know, lady that, that made clothes, she was probably in the design world, you know. And then you've got a slave girl that was demon possessed, you know, two, two secular women and a, a Roman centurion are the planters of the church in Philippi. So he loved them. Ephesus, these were his people, like he was there. These were his friends. These were, it's why he didn't want to get too close. He said, I'm going to stay 20 miles away because I know I'm supposed to go this way. I know I'm supposed to go back towards Jerusalem. And he says, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. He says, I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Packed into these three verses, I just saw four extraordinary characteristics of Paul's life that I think we need to sit and see and ask the question, how how could this be possible for me? If we are following, if this is, Acts is not something that we're just supposed to look at and go, well, they did a good job. It is something to, to lead us to see because we're in the era that acts like Jesus has ascended, the church has exploded and is moving. The reason we sit in this room in Jacksonville Beach is because of the faithfulness of the ones that have gone before us time and time again, sacrificing their lives for the thing that they believe mattered most, which was the gospel. Their resources, their lives, they, they laid them at the feet of Jesus. And for, for all of them, it meant their death, Everybody dies in this story. All of these people are going to give their lives away for the cause of the gospel. So what are these four extraordinary characteristics? You can see them right here. I mean, the first one is freedom from fear. The apostle Paul was not worried. He says, I consider my life worth nothing. I'm going to finish the race. I mean, John Piper says that this is that passage where you realize in the gospel story, it's better to lose your life than to waste it. It is better to lose your life than to waste it. I mean, that is a big, a big statement. And the apostle Paul would say, even to the Philippian church, I count everything a loss compared to the surpassing knowledge of experiencing and knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Knowing Jesus is worth more than anything that I've ever attained, anything that I've ever had in my bank account. Everything else is rubbish in comparison to knowing him. I consider it all loss and I've lost a lot is what he says. I've lost all things for this and I consider it small. In another place, in, when he's speaking to the, the church at Corinth, he says, "I'm I, this is light and momentary affliction in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that's waiting for me. This is this suffering and he suffered a lot. I'm talking about shipwrecked twice, beaten. I mean, in a cold prison for a lot of his life and a lot of the, the, the amazing things that we read from the Apostle Paul in the epistles, because he wrote, a, I mean, a large portion of the New Testament. He did it from prison. He says, that's light and momentary. Who does that? Who says that? My man was not scared. The Apostle Paul would, would say often in, in so many words, I'm not worried about my life. If, if you kill me, if people take me out, guess what I get to do? I get to see Jesus face to face. If you leave me here, I get to carry the gospel every day that I walk on planet earth. Put me in prison. We've seen what happens when you put Paul in prison. you will be praying at midnight. Gates will fling open. Everybody's going to get saved. Angels show up. It drove the Roman empire crazy. It drove the Jews that were trying to shut down Christianity crazy. You can't touch somebody that doesn't have fear, that is not worried about their life somebody that always walks around with the hope of Christ, bored into their soul, you can't mess with them. Paul is known as the Teflon disciple. He did not shake. He didn't get rattled. Who does this? Who acts like this? So he he didn't fear. Second thing, as you see in this passage, he, he no longer demanded to know what was next. Right there in the passage between 22 and 24, what does he say? The Holy Spirit's telling me, I'm, this is where I'm headed and I don't know what's waiting there for me. I'm going to Jerusalem and I don't know what's coming. So not only is he not worried about his life, but he's also not demanding to know what's next. Like, how's this gonna go down? Let's plan it for a while. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna get out the maps and we're gonna figure out how many bathroom breaks we're gonna take between here and San Francisco. I mean, he, there's no, he's not in that zone. And I read, this is where I stopped and I thought, this is challenging to me. Because I demand to know what's next most of the time in my life. I don't know about you, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty spontaneous, but I also, like any human being, I wanna know what's next. I wanna know how to fix it. I wanna know if trouble comes, what's the exit plan? I wanna know what's happening down the road. Imagine somebody just saying, you know, you got, and this is the way Jesus told us to live our lives. Tomorrow has enough worry of itself, but we plan to the nth degree in our society and in our world right now. I mean, our retirement plans, our bank accounts, our living circumstances, our health, everything, we put barriers in place. And I'm not telling you not to have health insurance and you know, be, a, be a, somebody that's not wise. I'm just saying that seems to be more of who we are than what we see in the apostle Paul. I wanna know what happens. When it all comes down, we want to know how to fix it. Financially, if something crashes down on us, we're, we're looking for the plan that we've made that's supposed to save us, the safety net that we've got in place. If our health comes crashing down, we want to know which doctors do I go to, which referrals do I get, and if finally I'm going to get to this place, I'm going to get to this place, and we're going to fix this, and then I'll get back to going to do a church stuff and being somebody that's involved in Christianity. As opposed to, I'm not really worried about my life. Yeah, I'm gonna do the things that are wise, but my life is not my own. I'm not gonna live life doing it my way because my way has sent me down the road of death. But Jesus is leading me to life. And he says, I can live my life for what matters most. The apostle Paul, he didn't have fear and he didn't demand to know what was next. But I stand in life many times in a place wanting to know what's next, God, tell me what's next. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna risk. I'm not gonna head down that road unless I know what's next. What if we don't? I mean, the pandemic rattled so many people's cages and I'm not saying it was a good thing, but in some ways it was a wake-up call. It was a wake-up call where God was going, I've been trying to tell you that nothing down there is solid ground. It is, it is dying. It's a dying world in need of redemption. It has been groaning since the first sin was committed on planet earth for redemption. And it is shifting sand. And there's an enemy telling you that there's something that you can put under your feet that will hold you up. And it's a lie. And a lot of us saw it in 2020. That happiness cannot be hinged on money and our expectation of what might happen in the future and how we plan. That right there, reading that and absorbing that into my life brought conviction what do i spend my time doing what do i spend my money on how do i think about my life he was fearless he didn't demand to know what was next continued even in the midst of suffering the apostle paul even says that in his passage says all along the way i had people coming against me all along the way i had the jews were shutting me down threatening my life every moment every turn and I didn't stop. And he's telling them. In some ways, I read this. I'm like, is Paul arrogant? Like he's, you know. But the apostle Paul, he always gets back to that place of, of explaining how God put him in the place that he's in, how it's possible that he's doing these things. But he he had no fear. He didn't worry about what was coming next. He still moved. And in the midst of suffering, the apostle Paul, even so much as had a massive issue. We see again in a letter to the Corinthians, he's talking about the thorn in his flesh. We don't know exactly what that was, but you know, I imagine it was a physical ailment that was, he, he begged God three times. And God's response to him was not to remove the thorn, but to say, my grace is sufficient for you. And God continued, the spirit of God continued to speak to him saying, my, I am made, people will see me. I will be more glorified in your weakness than in your strength. I, I will, my, everything will be made perfect in your weakness. You will see how much I love you. Your eyes will be opened in your weakness to how much I care about you and how much I care about them. And the apostle Paul kept moving. What a, I mean, that just rattles me to the core in some ways because we are, let's get back to it when we fix everything. I mean that's the world that I. I mean let's be. I'm just trying to be honest. Like, I'll get back to serving the Lord when I can fix all of this. If if I'm in the middle of suffering, if I'm in the middle, immediately the most the the human response. That's why I look at the Apostle Paul. I'm like, how? The immediate response is if we get injured in some way, we're going to take care of it. Everything else is on hold. We got to fix this financial problem. We got we're going to fix this. Hey. I'll get back to this whole serving the Lord when we get, when we get the, when I get enough money or, hey, I, I've, my whole being, I need to be married. Like I got to get married. And when we, when I get married, then we'll figure out how this, you know, running the race, all that stuff. But right now we are, we are going to swipe a few times. We got, we got to find somebody tonight. I mean, this is going to be, you know, I need a, I need a partner and to, to run the race with. He's cute, Christian. 27 degrees of compatibility. He meets eight. That's the best I've gotten so far. We're going for it. I mean, we, we were gonna fix that first and then we'll get to that place of moving in to carrying the name of Jesus and being a minister of the gospel in the places that God's put us or contemplating, maybe I'm supposed to go into the mission field. Maybe I'm in the mission field in my cubicle in the place that God's put me. But no, we got we to gotta figure out the financial thing. My health issue, I got a I big health thing. When I get out, when I get on the other side of this, when I get out, when in these circumstances, when the clouds clear away and the circumstances are all perfect, when everything's right, then I'll run the race. And I get that because that sounds more normal. That wasn't the apostle Paul. Wasn't him, fearless. He didn't worry about what was coming next. And... Oh, by the way, in the midst of suffering, it seemed as though he ran the race even harder. He continued. He ran. Think about this. The Holy Spirit was telling him, hey, I just want to let you know, you're going to be in prison a lot and people are going to be not happy with the things that you're saying. The road you're getting ready to walk down, yeah, there's, you're, going to be, you're going to be in jail a lot. And where does he go? He goes that direction. Humans don't do that. We go the other way. Like I imagine people, his boys in Ephesus were like, hey, um, you know, you might wanna take a break. You know, it's time, pastor sabbatical. Like you need to go to, to Azos and get a, a drink with an umbrella in it and chill out and get a tan for a while. You've been working hard, bro. You've been grinding, man. And those people wanna kill you. So you might wanna not go there. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. No, crazy town, that's where he went. Prison awaits you. Suffering awaits you. But that's where he was headed. That's where he went. He continued even in the midst of suffering. I mean, he told Timothy that. He said, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life and follow Jesus will be persecuted. You're welcome. I mean, that's the life. I mean, if somebody told you, follow Jesus in everything, all of life is gonna be easy. I mean, that would be the worst, most unbiblical message they could preach to you. Not that, now I, 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 I can tell you, your joy is complete in running the race and following Jesus. There's nothing that will fill the gap in your heart and your soul other than Jesus. The thing that you're searching for, everything else will, will leave you on the roadside. The solid foundation of life is Jesus and only Jesus, but it has nothing to do with circumstantial joy. Like all of a sudden, you're, things are just the the, the sun's going to rise in your finances, in your health, and in life in general. No more anything. Now, eventually, that will be the case—the redemption of everything. No more pain, no more suffering. We're looking forward to that glorious day and that glorious inheritance. But on a sinful planet, there's no guarantee of that. We know Jesus told the disciples, John sixteen thirty three: In this life, you are going to have trouble, boys. But take heart—I've overcome the world. He let us know ahead of time, hey, there's gonna be trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. That was the apostle Paul. And fourthly, not only did he, was he fearful, not only did he demand to know, he didn't demand to, to know what was next, he just followed. He continued in the midst of his suffering, seemed to run faster. He treasured Christ above all things. He treasured Christ above all things. That was the top order of everything for him. Nothing compared when he made the transition from persecuting Christians, woke up, scales fell off his eyes as he was prayed for and went directly into ministering to the Gentiles as God led him. my man, treasuring Christ was where it was at. That seemed to be the fuel for him. Like, why would I do anything else? There's nothing else, even in the comparison window of, that, that exists on planet earth. He says, everything else is worthless in comparison to my relationship with Jesus. Every suffering that I experience on planet earth is light and momentary. I'm not really worried about that because it's pushing and driving towards this eternal weight of glory. So I ask the question, when I, when I think about these four things, How? Is there ever, when you read the Bible, and I'm just asking the question, honestly, human to human, is there ever a disconnect between what you see when you look at somebody like the Apostle Paul or the disciples and what we experience in America and the American church and the American dream and the way that we live life? I'm not saying there's nobody. But when I ask the question, why is there not this revival, this movement, this thing that's happening, you know, what's, and then I read that and I'm like, maybe there's a little bit of, there's something different. I mean, it, it, it puts it out there. It's a question we should ask, right? It's a question we should, we should bring up. But I love the Bible because you ask that question, you think, ah, maybe Paul was just awesome. You know, we need to be awesome. You know, Derek, you just need to be more awesome. And I th- I've thought that, you know, you do need to be more awesome. He was smart. He knew the Bible. He knew how to do all this. He was way better than me. He received all of these mission rules from God and now he was executing them. I didn't. Nobody's given me any like missionary, you know, like here, this is what you're supposed to do with your life. I'm kind of waiting on a word from God. I haven't gotten that yet. Maybe that was it. I don't know. No, it's right there in verse 22. Just sitting right in, in the midst of these, these passages and these verses. It says, and now compelled by The Spirit. Compelled by the Spirit. I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. He was compelled by the Spirit. See, I look, I read these four, I've heard this message before where somebody lays out the life of Paul, the life of the disciples, this idea of, you know, I'm going to, to lay my life aside. I'm gonna pick up my cross and I'm gonna follow Jesus. Now is my time of giving everything up, selling all of my stuff, giving it to the poor and following Jesus. I'm gonna go into the mission field. I'm gonna go. And I know that half the room, it usually is this way, half the room is pumped up right now. Like, I'm ready to go. Like, when are we going, Derek? Let's do it. What's the, what's the next mission trip? I'm gonna go we're gonna put on the boots. We're gonna to get to work. We gotta to get to work, running the race. It's what we're gonna do. This is how it's gonna happen. I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting. This is, why, this is why I came to Ocean City Church. Hit me with it. And then there's another half that's like, Whew. man, I just moved into a house and just bought a new car. It's nice. I like its new car smell. It's great. You know, I like this. You know, it's, this is challenging. I mean, there's, a, there's that side, right? It's an honest take on am It's like, what about life? Are we all called to just be radical? Is there this radical call for the whole planet? Is that? And then there's, so there's the excitement and then there's the, the, the guilt, which is right. I would say neither is right because if we run out of here on our own power, all excited and amped up, go go to the mission field, make this decision. We're going to go to China, Papua New Guinea. Let's go there. We're going to do it. ah, And we're going to fall flat on our face by Monday. It will be over very soon. And I've seen it happen. This is not just reading the Bible and going, I bet that will happen. Multiple times. I mean, People are usually about a year to 18 months in the mission field. If, they, if they're going and they're expecting the romantic idea of give it all up because I don't have anything else to do in life and I'm gonna chase Jesus into the mission field and that's what I'm gonna use and do with my life. If you're there and you're there to receive that romantic dream of giving your life away, it will fail immediately. It will go downhill. You'll, be the, you'll find out it's very lonely it was cool, getting ready for it, packing all the stuff, telling your parents begrudgingly, I'm leaving, I'm going, why? And all of a sudden you end up there. Phone's not ringing, you're trying to learn a foreign language and nobody's around and you're left with you and only you. But compelled by the Spirit. Now that's something different. We forget very quickly as we read in, in Acts, how all of this started. The engine, everything that happened. Acts chapter one, what did Jesus say? He warned them almost. Hey, don't slow your roll before you get out there. I know y'all are excited and have been around me a lot, but don't go anywhere. Go to Jerusalem and wait. He said, wait, don't go, wait. For what? The promise, the promised Holy Spirit, which makes people nervous, by the way. Like you start talking about the Holy Spirit, you know, people are the God, the Father, God, the Son. Let's talk about Jesus. You start talking about the Holy Spirit. It's like the the part of the Trinity, we're like, are people getting weird? Is this one of those churches? (laughs) Babe, I I knew it. It's it's non-denominational. It's gonna be weird. The chandelier's gonna come down and somebody's gonna swing from it. It's gonna be crazy. But that's what we see in Acts. Like people speak in tongues. It's nuts. Acts chapter two, they go, they do exactly what Jesus says. They wait. The Holy Spirit comes. It's like a rushing wind, tongues of fire. Everybody's in town for Pentecost from all over the known world. You look at all the different people that were there. I mean, it reads off from all these different regions. Everywhere in the known world, people were there. Representatives. I mean, God knew. He's like set it up this way. And all of a sudden the spirit of God comes and Galileans, like they're like, are, these hicks from the hillside are speaking Italian. They're, they're preaching the gospel in somebody else's native tongue and language. And they asked the same question that we're asking in the room right now. How? How is this possible? People's lives are being changed. 3,000 became Christians and Peter's answering the question. He said, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. This is, this is the spirit being poured out on sons and daughters. They would prophesy in the last days that they would repent, that they would come back to God and things would change by the power of the spirit. This is, these people aren't drunk. It's only nine in the morning. The explosion of the Spirit of God. 3,000 people got baptized that day. you imagine that? I mean, I, I just get the picture of the guy that was there and he went home. Like all these people are going back to their homeland. Ex- had experienced Jesus to spread the gospel more. And people are looking at him going, bro, what happened to you? You look different. I don't know what's going on. Lighter maybe. Did you lose some weight? No. Something happened to me. Spirit, I was there for Pentecost and these, these weird guys, these guys were fishermen. They shouldn't even have known anything. They started preaching the gospel in my language. And I don't think they even knew what they were saying, but they were, they were telling me about Jesus. They were telling me about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, that he was alive. And these amazing things happened. Tongues of fire, it was incredible. And I was overcome by the spirit of God and I got baptized with 3,000 other people. I mean, could you imagine that crazy wild scene? The whole parade of people looking for a body of water in Jerusalem. Like, oh, Jordan, where are you going? I'm going to the you know, Sea of Galilee. We're, we're all just 3,000. Overwhelming. How did it happen? Spirit of God. It was the Holy Spirit. How encouraging is that? In the midst of my conviction, in the midst of your conviction to understand it is not about running out the door and trying to figure out how to, how to do it. It is understanding and knowing. The apostle Paul would even say, we need to know what's inside of us as followers of Jesus. What's possible that's ruminating inside of you and me when it comes to who we are as followers of Jesus. And the apostle Paul's letting them know as his last words, we need this. We need this now. We need this to come into our lives. We, we have to overcome. First, we have to overcome the spirit of self because it's strong. I mean, that, that protective, I mean, looking at the apostle Paul, I'm like, there's gotta be, something needs to be broken. And I need to be disconnected because the, the spirit of self, I don't know if you've ever experienced the indwelling of the spirit of self, but I have. It's very strong. It will lead you. It will do many powerful things when you are full of the spirit of self. And and you know where when you're full of the spirit of self, just overcome with the spirit of self. Do you know where it leads you? To self. It leads you to self. You will protect self. You will do anything. You will do anything. You won't do anything that will injure self. You will actually do everything you can possibly do to protect self, to, to gain things that are for self, to collect things along the way that help self. You will do a lot of things along the way to make sure that self is okay because that's the way that we do it here on planet earth. I will make sure that I've got a barrier around. I've got enough stuff around. I've got enough retirement around. I've got enough things around to protect self because I wanna make sure that self is okay that's the spirit of self. And we all understand that. I think everybody in the room does. But we look at the life of Paul, he was not there. What did he say? His words were the opposite. I don't care about my life. How does that happen? Spirit has to overcome it. I'm not about myself. I've led people to Jesus, 10th grade, brought them to youth camp gave their life to Jesus and they'll be there in heaven waiting on me. 40 years and you got one. The rest has been about self. Congratulations. Give you a muffin after the service. Oh, you know what I'm saying? I'm talking about life changing as a result of what's happening inside the heart and inside the soul. And I see it ruminating over the last Years or so here at Ocean City Church, even in worship, like there's something about to explode, but sometimes we don't even know what it is or what's possible in that. And I think we're on the, on the cusp of miracles because people sometimes will just spout off, there's a revival happening in Jacksonville. There's not. I mean, I'll just say that as boldly as I can. I don't care. I mean, I can take the percentages and lay them out in front of you just very quickly and we'll realize, okay, yeah, there's not a revival based on past revivals. But there could be, because when the Spirit comes, when people wake up, what the Apostle Paul prayed for, you look at this in Ephesians chapter one. Think about it, it's the same group of people he's talking to five years later, he's in prison, he's telling these people, "Hey." This is what I want for you. I'm super stoked that the church has exploded in, in Ephesus and things are happening, but this is what I want you to know how I pray for you. He says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks. He's like, I love you people. I remember you in my prayers. I keep, this is what I ask. Think about what he's asking here. He says, I ask that God, the, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious father may give you what? The spirit of wisdom and revelation. That's not just like earthly wisdom. He's wanting them to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation to see something that that nobody else in a normal situation on planet earth with their earthly eyes and ears would see or hear. So that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. He's saying, I want you to see something. I want you you to begin to make the connection between what you see in the lives of the people that are full of the Spirit and and why that exists. He says, I want you to know the hope to which He has called you, the glorious riches, the, the, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people. And listen to 19 and His incomparably great power for who? For us who believe. He previously was talking about the deposit of the Holy Spirit. When, you, when you've gone from death to life, this is the same thing that brought you into the kingdom of God that woke you up when you realized you believed you had faith and you, you were pulled out of your pit of darkness and death spiritually. And now you're in the light. The windows are open and you're seeing it. God's revealing your sin and you're repenting and life is good. That same spirit that did that is the same spirit that resides in you. The deposit of the Holy Spirit that's in you. Confirming who you are in Christ. It's an amazing gift, but it's also this incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is, listen, listen to it, the same, the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. I mean, that's crazy talk. Inside of you, the authority, all the authority given in heaven and earth, God. Jesus said that to Peter. said, you're going to, this is your life. You're going to carry, you have the keys to death and Hades. I went and got them. You know, I went down into the grave and I stole those keys. And he hands them to St. Peter and says, build my church. Spirit of God in you, same power exerted to raise Jesus from the grave. The possibilities in the room for you and for me, they don't rest on our shoulders as a weight. It's a freedom to understand and know in my weakness, in the spot that I am, in the job that I am, I think we're gonna get to heaven and there's gonna be got people that are like, yeah, I, I just was a lawyer. But you're gonna see this unbelievable kingdom work that, that happened that nobody knows about right now. You're gonna see a janitor that's gonna be in heaven and there's gonna be this massive crowd of people that that you beyond where eyes can see that all the connections, all the things that they did while they were on planet earth, in the power of the spirit, in their job, in the place that God placed them. And on earth, they're nobody, they're a janitor and the rest of the world dismisses them. They're gonna be in the kingdom of God and you're gonna see them without a mop, sitting seated at the right hand of Jesus Christ and everybody's gonna go, dude, the janitor had some mojo. Spirit of God has nothing to do with us, our status, who we are here on planet earth, the banner that we wear as, as Americans that have jobs, that climb corporate ladders and has everything to do with the way that we submit to the Spirit of God. Where are we in seeking that? I mean, those are the questions I think I'm asking this year as we go into Vision Sunday, as we talk about our mission and vision as a church, how do we put ourselves under the torrent of God's Spirit? It doesn't always happen like we see in the book of Acts. Like we don't just go there and go, all right, rip the roof off in tongues of fire now. God does it when he wants to do it, but I wanna be in the place. It's just like, hey, if you wanna get wet, you're gonna have to go outside when it's raining, right? You, know, you can't stay in the comfort of wherever. It's like, okay, I want the torrent to hit me. Well, there's a roof over your head. You're gonna have to go outside. You know, it may or may not rain, but it definitely rains out here. I wanna put myself in that position when it comes to the power of the Holy Spirit. Like where, where do I need to be? I wanna be on my knees. I wanna be at the prayer meeting once a month on Thursdays. I wanna be in that place, in that space where the spirit of God comes. I want my life in that place. I wanna position myself there. I can't make it happen, but I wanna be in that place where it's possible because then we'll see revival. Then we'll see something happen. And he can do it with any of you. You guys over there got more leverage right now in your life than, than you'll have years from now. Don't waste it. Better to lose your life than to waste it. You know, I love that this passage, when you end this this passage in in, uh, Acts chapter 20, you know, they're, they're in Ephesus. This is a church that is born. One of the things that we see in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit comes on the scene. People are changed. People come to know Jesus. And then people are knit together as the church. Like all of a sudden the church becomes this amazing thing. It is God's plan A. He takes all of these broken people that have repented and been baptized. And he says, all right, you're gonna be the church. All these different people from all these different cultures over time, all of a sudden become unified by the blood of Christ. And it's interesting that the disciples didn't even know when Jesus comes and says to them, hey, and they don't know that he's gonna give his life away the next day. They're together. He's together with his friends, breaking bread doing what they had done in the past, seeing things in a different lens. And Jesus is already trying to correct their lens and our lens in this moment. And when they were together in the upper room, Jesus, just about ready to give his life away and bleed out on Calvary, he, he takes the bread he breaks it. And he says, this is my body broken for you. This is my body broken for you. Everything that you're carrying, I've taken it on. Every sin that you've got, every bit of shame that you've walked with, every bit of guilt, it's on me. My perfect life, I'm handing over to you and I'm taking this body and it's being broken. In the same way he took the cup, he said, there's a new covenant. You guys have been, the system that's been in place, this temple system has always been a picture of a a future savior. And so now the system is being set aside, and the Savior has come. It's a new covenant in my blood. It says every time that you eat this meal, every time you break this bread, every time you drink this cup, you remember. That's what communion's about. It's about remembering. You remember. It's the thing that binds us together as believers, makes us brothers and sisters, not in the cheesy way like "hey brother," but the real depth of our faith. Broken body, poured out blood. And the apostle Paul, in all his wisdom, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he, he wants us to not come to the table as a liturgical thing that we do routine, not be flippant about it, but understand and know this is a moment that we need, just like worship, just like the, the, the sacrament of, of baptism. The sacrament of communion is to put us in that place to remember, to put our laser focus right there at the cross of Jesus Christ to remember that is what saves me and rescues me. I can't rescue myself. Thanks be to God, to the praise of his glorious grace that he took me from from death and brought me to life with his sacrifice. And we remember that together as a church. So the Apostle Paul says, don't be flippant about it. If you're not a Christian, this isn't for you. Like this is not your, if you don't believe yet, if you're still in that place of trying to figure it out, that's fine. He just says, this is for the believer. Honor the table that way. So it's that's that's a that's that's part of it. And don't you know if you've got an issue with somebody, it's, you know, I'm just you know I've got a a grudge that I'm holding with somebody. Don't flippantly go up to the table. Figure that out. Work it out with them. Repentance is is part of this whole thing that we call Christianity. It's beautiful. It's coming home. Work those things out. But it also it leads us to this place of knowing and understanding that people in in the room. Today might be the day. Maybe, maybe you walked in one way, and this is my hope every week and the hope of the people that lead here is that you wouldn't walk in and nothing happened. You just heard a few good things and some notes to take, but that you walked in one way and God transforms your life and your heart and your belief in an instant by the power of the Spirit. That might've happened for you. So if you're there and you're wondering, should I take communion? I believe in Jesus for the first time. Absolutely. Absolutely. This table is for you. It is for anyone and everyone. There's one way in and through Jesus, but it's for anyone and everyone. It's a beautiful, people think that Christianity is this exclusive thing and it is because it's Jesus only Jesus, but it's open to the whole wide world. So I'm going to pray and then you've got, you know, obviously in the season that we're in, we're doing things a little differently. I just, the only thing I would say is open the right side first. Cause once you open one, if you open the other side, then you can't flip it over and take the little cracker out. So just think about it. You'll look at it and stare. What is he talking about? You'll get it when you look at it. So I'll pray. God, I just, I'm overwhelmed by your grace and your love for us and your word, how it leads us. It convicts us, but then brings us to a place of freedom, knowing that we don't wanna take one step outside of your spirit. In our own power, we might be able to do some things here on planet earth, but the things that we really wanna do, the things that really matter, they're only gonna happen through your spirit. Continually lead us, bind us together as a church, because we're better.